Dave? I'm well. Alan, how about yourself? Good. Have you gone for your walk yet? No, I have not. I've been walking indoors at uh, Service Place this last while for reasons that I suspect you all recognize. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. Iciness and temperature both. So uh, better to be safe than uh, in the hospital. <laughs> so Oilers Leafs, fun hockey, Bruce. A wonderful hockey game to watch. Mistakes yeah. for sure, but also high, high skill. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Didn't start off very fun for Oilers fans. My goodness, first three plays featured a Toronto goal, a four-on-two rush, rush that thankfully they butchered crossing the blue line, and then a goal post from like point-blank range in the, within two minutes of the first period. And it seemed like the blowout might be on. And I, I must admit I had concerns going in. I thought Toronto was going to be coming into this game like a bear with a sore paw because they lost three straight, you know, But and they did. They started that way. But uh, Edmonton, I don't know what it is, but it's just, you know, they give in the first goal and then they just inexorably fight their way back into the hockey game and find some way to score just enough to, to win. They're not blowing anybody out. They're just winning games. Bruce, that first goal for me was interesting because the 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 pa- I thought the pass was high skill. Obviously, you'd like somebody to interfere with it or get in the way or block the shot. And and uh-huh. uh, uh, you, you know, it was a. I'm going to say it's a fairly easy goal, but but Matthews is also a marksman, but he had a lot of yeah. net. Um, yeah. When you're breaking down that, I know you do errors on that play. Yeah. Uh, who gets the errors on that play for Cult of Hockey? Oh, I think we gave out four errors on that play. Although I'm, I'm, we're still debating whether Hyman deserved one. He was kind of standing still as uh, as Matthews skated by him, but I thought he was, you know, playing his position, covering the point. Uh, to me, the uh, primary one was Bouchard, who yes. first of all coughed the puck up in the on uh, the breakout pass that it came right back at him, and then was kind of kind of standing in front he chased Matthews into the corner and then he retreated to the front of the net and didn't pick anybody up and Matthews just circled and Marner you know made a great bullet pass as you point out and uh, Austin Matthews with half the net to shoot at is probably not going to miss and he didn't uh otherwise we had uh Nugent Hopkins uh for allowing the pass from the side and for uh uh, Ekholm for losing a battle. So that was kind of a more of a team breakdown than yeah. uh, just one player. Sometimes on a goal, it's just one mistake by one guy, boom. Uh, but this one was more, you know, a few small errors leading to a wide open chance in the goal. I, I've seen online, Bruce, and uh, that's always a mistake, but, but people <laughs> people saying the primary culprit on that play was Skinner. And I, I think the pass was good oh. enough so that you can't blame the goalie. What was he supposed to do? I know. Use his extended <laughs> stick to intercept the pass. I know. I mean, was a it was a play circle from the one corner. It was a give and go, and and Marner just made a bullet return pass to a, you know lead lead number one goal scorer. I mean, I don't know. I I I don't get that one. No, and and I just I'm on a linger here for a minute because like Oilers defense are playing well. They're breaking out well. Their coverage is good. They're being aggressive. Their penalty kill aggression is out of sight. I love it. But but I think also on a play like that, Bouchard did you know? Let's make him a culprit. 
but his play is very strong. And also, you, I think you have to give the other di- guy his due. Marner's pass is all world, Bruce. Yes. And and so, like, I understand giving errors. I understand every play has errors and everything. But but sometimes the other guy is just so damn good. Well, this is the National Hockey League, and there are good players on every team. Uh, even you know relatively weak teams like Toronto. No, they have a, they have like five all stars on their team. I mean, good, goodness gracious, you know, that's the most of any team, isn't it? So, anyways, uh, they uh, they executed a good play, and the Oilers just you know they came out a little bit tentative, and boom, and then nearly boom, boom, like I said before. Yeah. I mean, they it it was so uh, so nearly you know it could easily have been three nothing early early and they uh, uh, they they got away with uh, a couple of those mistakes and you know mistakes it's a game of mistakes my wife reminds me constantly during the broadcast right you know when when stuff goes wrong it's a game of mistakes and she's not wrong you know it's it, it truly is and. In some ways, uh, NHL games are the most boring when nobody makes any mistakes. Yeah. So what last night's game wasn't was boring, and there was plenty of mistakes. And Toronto made, uh, in the end, more than their share. Yeah, that's why they had to drum Nick Lidstrom out of the league because he never made any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of that loser. Um, uh-huh. uh, so I, I'm noticing in this, I'm not blaming Jay Woodcroft. It seems to be the thing to do now is to either blame or praise him. But I think Ryan uh-huh. McLeod is healthy now, and, and I maybe we're seeing another gear. Uh, you know, his like his pass to Derek Ryan was was really nice, and his goal was also nice. Nice little screen there from Connor McDavid. Not really his role, but he did it. McLeod's, I think it's 1.74 or something like 1.94 points per 60. He's got a 61% goal share at five on five. I'm not saying he's emerging, Bruce, as a, as a, you know, like something more than a third line center, but my goodness, there's some real touch on this player's passes and goals. Yeah, well, and I think after 20 games, he had no goals and three assists, and now he's up to eight and. What the heck is it? Uh, he anyway. He's been uh, he's up to you know twenty point range and and uh, 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 really delivering the offense. Whether it be at left wing where he had a real nice run with uh, Drysaitel and Fogel for uh, a big chunk of this current winning streak, or back now at three C because they do kind of need him there as well. You know, I mean, this is a, a guy that can can do more than one thing, and he's showing that. And I think maybe that's one area where. Uh, the approach of Knobloch is a little different in that he actually gave he gave McLeod that push up to to left wing and actually left him there for a few games and and it really worked well and you can see his confidence like the plays he made last night you know carrying the puck but actually doing things that contributed to finishing plays like he's always been good at uh, you know what I call moving the ball between the twenties yeah. As they say about NFL quarterbacks, but uh, in the red zone, that's never really been his strength. But geez, that bullet pass that he put on Ryan's stick. Yeah. And uh, I'll add the little pinch by Cody Cece in the tap on the ice to make himself a target that distracted one defender to Cece and left Ryan open. Like that was a team play. And then on the winning goal, the, the, the patience that he showed picking the puck up behind the goal line and curling out. And absolutely 
picture-perfect screen by uh, uh, McDavid uh, where he was in the goalie's eyes and then he rolled to one side to continue to block uh, uh, Jones' view of the puck and open the little hole in the top corner of the net. You could see it from the TV angle, perfect zing, in it went, perfect shot by uh, McLeod and, and uh, patience, you know, holding the puck and shooting it at the right moment. Like, I've been on our po- Cult of Hockey podcast, made this point in the past a few times. He needs to watch some old Glenn Anderson footage and and realize that when, uh, you know, when Andy first came into the league, everything was, was a rush and he jammed pucks into goalies, pads and stuff. And it took him a little while to learn to hold it and take that extra step and let the hole open up and then get it upstairs. And that's kind of what we saw in that goal. And, uh, it's nice to see from this guy. He's getting better every year. He did improve under Jay Woodcroft a lot. So I give Jay Woodcroft credit, not debit, for uh, Ryan McLeod. And you're right, he was hurt to start the year. So he wasn't much help for maybe the first 10 or so games. Yeah, that's that's fair. Now, he's a, he's a, a, a admittedly rare uh, second-round pick who, who really has worked out 40 overall yep. in 2018. Stuart Skinner, a third-round pick, uh, number yep. 78 in 2017. He's working out well, too. And what a – you know, it, it's funny because you look at his year, and, uh, I mean, I read the the text that would come in here, and Skinner was like – I mean, he was—he wasn't enemy number one because I—I I don't remember who was at the time, but there were other culprits. But Skinner was, no, yeah, not highly popular, and and the recovery has been exceptional across the roster. But his last, say, seventeen games of NHL hockey have really turned the tables in terms of the verbal surrounding Stuart Skinner. Well, a seven-game winning streak and an eight-game winning streak will do that, eh? Yeah. And you'll remember uh, uh, Game 31 at uh, New York Rangers, uh, where the Oilers led 4-1. Well, Skinner held them in the game at one nothing down through two periods, and then the Oilers exploded for four. And Rangers got one on the power play with the goalie out, and then with one second left, they got kind of a sleazy one. That uh, that shouldn't have happened, and Skinner was pretty upset, even though they won the game four or three. And he's, I think, he was quoted as saying he doesn't like to keep them to two or less. Well, guess what? The other guys haven't got the three since nine games in a row where the Oilers' opponents and two of these were Pickard, but the other seven were Stu Skinner. Two goals against or one or none. Gotta love it. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> so. I'm I'm saying to people they can catch the Kings, they can catch Vegas, and people are sending me texts back saying to hell with that noise, catch Vancouver. What does the the wise Bruce McCurdy think about uh, the Oilers being able to catch the Canucks here this year? Uh, well, if they keep winning all of their games, I like the chances. <laughs> uh, but it's going to take a while. I mean, unlike um, L.A. and and uh, and Vegas. Well, you've pointed out, you know, they've dropped a lot of points in the last 10 games versus the Oilers dropping none at all. But Vancouver just keeps on rolling. Man, they had a great road trip. That's what they went five in a row in the middle of their seven-game road trip. Mm-hmm. And then they got a point from the last game. So you're not going to be overtaking that with any, any rate of speed. And they're still a long ways out front. And they're, they're still running this ridiculous heater in terms of shots going in for them and not going in for the other team. Like their PDO is just off the charts. And for the entire season, Vancouver's PDO is better than Edmonton's is during the 11-game winning streak. So that's uh, uh, that's hard to do. Uh, and they 
they you know they've got it going on but you know uh, I have memories of a season that was it 1992 that Vancouver finished first in the and the and Smythe division and then Edmonton rolled them in the first round of the playoffs I mean there's more than one way to you know it's it's, it's not all decided in the regular season let's put it that way so I'm going to make you the general manager and coach of the Edmonton Oilers right now. Now, there's no pay involved, but I want Forget you to... the winning streak right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I were in that position, I'd hire Mark Pouliot back to play third-line center, so you know where that would go. So, Dylan Holloway, I watched him again last night, and he touches the puck a lot, and he's really yeah. good. He really is good uh, down in the minor leagues. They're going to call him back up. The word is that he's going to be like fourth-line center. But I, I've been preaching here, he and Broberg and even Lavoie when you call them up. If you're going to call them up, you have to play them. How much, and understanding that the top two lines are going to get the lion's share of the work, how much should Holloway play, uh, and should it all be five on five? Well, which special team are you going to put them on? And that's always a question for the bottom sixers. And typically the answer is PK or yeah. else nothing. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, we see with James Hamblin. Uh, that he's playing nothing but five on five, and he's typically getting seven or eight minutes in the game. He's doing okay, but he's you know he's not getting huge minutes. He's not on the penalty kill, and he'll never be on the power play in a million years. I mean, maybe you put Holloway on the second power play uh, and give him a few seconds here and there that 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 group accumulates. Four uh, C seems a long way down. Uh, on the other hand, I'm liking what I'm seeing of Holloway at pivot. And I think he's showing some real, uh, uh, some some real uh, possibilities there. And you know, Edmonton's developing a pretty nice history of guys who can play both center and wing. I mean, mm-hmm. Drysaddle, as we know, can play both wings. Nugent Hopkins has converted. McLeod recently successfully converted. Now he's back at center. Well, they got lots of options. I wish one of them shot right. And I guess you could say that about Derek Ryan, but I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, in the longer term, it'd be nice to have a right shot guy with a future that uh, uh, could do those things. But, uh, uh, they, you know, they do have a nice group of athletes that, uh, uh, that can move around a little bit. And that flexibility is a coach's dream. Um, two more questions. First one, Connor Brown, like he's get. I think he's getting closer, but maybe it's a mirage. This is painful. I feel bad for him. Poor Connor Brown. Seems like every game he gets like three chances, and one the goalie robs him, and one something happens. He hits a post or it misses the net, and the third one it looks like he's going to get a great chance, and he waits a. a, a a millisecond too long, and some guy comes out of nowhere and tips it into the crowd yeah, or into the netting. And, and he is getting closer and closer, and yet here we are, 40 games in, still stuck on zero. And who would have guessed? I mean, this is a guy who scored over 20 goals in this league on multiple times. And it's just bizarre. Um, but at this point, uh, you know, the bonus has sunk cost. He is what he is at this point, which is an NHL minimum salary. So trading him for another guy is not going to help your cap, even if the other guy is NHL minimum. You, you know, you're not likely to get him for cheaper. Uh, and he is, I think, certainly a solid bottom sixer and an excellent penalty killer. And I'm just sort of twiddling my thumbs, waiting for that one to drop. Yeah. 
And I'm thinking if he gets one, you know, and eventually he might even get, you know, two or three before the year. So well, you, you <laughs> the way t- things are going for the guy. Based on his career, if he scored 10 in the last 40, nobody should be surprised. Mm-hmm. But when you haven't right. scored any, it's kind of like a dream, right? Right. Well, that's a 20 goal pace, though. So even that now is a high bar. Like all along, I'm thinking, well, he's not going to get 20, but it's a pretty good chance he's going to get 10. Well, here we are halfway through, and he's still at zero. So even 10 kind of seems like a pipe dream, but I do think he'll score some goals and and uh, and help on the offensive end of the rink but uh, i i'm i'm liking many aspects of his game but obviously that is a great big gaping hole that there's uh, not a lot of offense that's showing up on the scoreboard bruce uh final question bruce mccurdy from the cult of hockey uh joining us wanted to talk a little bit i know everybody else had their shot and i wanted to give you yours as well uh john short uh passed away recently he had a great impact on me and pretty much every other uh broadcaster in the city but I did not know that that he was involved in you finding your way to the airwaves. Yeah, this is this goes way back, Alan. And thank you for asking. Uh, and uh, uh, this would have been when John was the voice, the golden voice on night sports talk uh, radio in this town. Many, many people, I among them, used to uh, uh, listen to his show, any sport, any time. Everybody's got a democratic right to be wrong. He didn't <laughs> hang up on people ever. Uh, you know, he, he always had uh, civil discourse, even with people that he clearly disagreed with. And I just like the tenor of his show. Anyway, in the 85-86 season, uh, I wrote a letter that I sent to the NHL uh, suggesting that they revive the Challenge Cup that they first awarded in 79. It's never been awarded since. Uh and make it an international club team tournament with the Stanley Cup champions, regular season champions, and two European teams, Central Red Army and, you know, Bojevic or whatever, whoever it was at that particular time. And I sent it off to John Ziegler and company in various places, and I CC'd it to, among others, John Short. Well, I heard back from John Short, and he said, well, I want to talk to you about this on the air, but why don't you come in? And so there was one, I think it was a Sunday night, and in the wintertime, it was like January, and I come in the dark, and my memory says it was John even who came down to let me in when I buzzed. That could be. It'd be there, him or too tall. Yeah, yeah, it may have been. There was some some interlocutor. But anyway, I wound up in the studio with the great John Short, getting an opportunity to talk about my idea of of what to be done with... uh, international hockey which was really big in those days and uh, just the, the the opportunity to have my say and to see in the studio and all the knobs and dials microphones and stuff that was uh, pretty exciting for a young 30 year old like myself <laughs> at that time when that was my very first exposure to uh to um live radio right in the uh, in the live setting and of course uh uh, many years subsequently, I got that opportunity with yourself more than a few times at the uh, old studio in the same place, Unwafted Broadcasting on 184th Street. That was in 1986, I'm thinking January of 86. Yep. So the one thing that did come out of that, one, one of the things I suggested in my letter was that the NHL needed to revive uh, what had been the Prince of Wales Trophy, which had been awarded to the first-place champion in the league. It was a big deal way back in the day for winning the league over six months. And a few weeks after I sent the letter, which I did get an acknowledgement from, from Ziegler, or somebody writing on his behalf, uh, 
out of the blue, the NHL announced the President's Trophy right in the middle of the 1985-86 season, out of nowhere. And I always think, maybe that was my idea. Anyway, the Oilers went on to win it that year, and the next year they came the first year to win the double, President's Trophy and Stanley Cup. So I always take a little tiny bit of ownership. I love it. I love that it. trophy. So anyway, uh, yeah. John... John was a, a real gentleman, and I had the opportunity to to break bread with him a few times over the years. Not as many as I would like, but uh, nonetheless, uh, he uh, he will be missed. He was uh, a titan in uh, not just the radio industry, but media generally. Bruce, thank you. Appreciate it.